Here we are again. Hello. Well, hello. I'm eating a delicious corn soup from the Vietnamese hole in the wall shop around the corner. My that, God. I get the chicken and corn soup because. I've got tofu and corn because I'm morally superior to you. <laughs> oh, have you got your moral high grounds cup yet? <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I was so like the other day when we made that joke about the moral high grounds, I'm like, that is the greatest thing to put on a like a smug reusable coffee cup. <laughs> you are we just, should do it. You are just so proud of yourself. And you aren't just you? know the fact that we're now saying this. If Gwen listens to this, she'll have turned oh. out a hundred of them. By the time we stop recording, yeah, it'll she'll be, be like she'll be Where do you want me to post it? If everyone, in case you don't know, our friend Gwen is the person who did those ban the single-use Prime Minister bags that went unbelievably gangbusters and Gwen was texting us and going, hey, guys, guess what? I'm on Sunday Sunrise. (laughs) I know. It was amazing. It was so funny. It was absolutely amazing. Um, While we're on food, can I share on the weekend I cooked something that I ripped out of a newspaper. I can't remember where. Was that the crab cakes? Yes, crab and asparagus tart. Yeah. I saw you, you know, posting on Facebook that you were murdering crabs. (laughs) I did. I used tinned crab. They oh, were, did you? They were pre-murdered. Okay. Yeah. So, we, we, what kind? What? Where, where do you tinned crab? Like full, not even refrigerated tinned crab. Yep. From Woolies okay. and Marrickville. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. Um, you look judgy. I do. <laughs> from I've your moral high you, ground. Just giving you, you the judgy. margarine look, haven't I? <laughs> yes. We were flying to Perth the other day, and because I get a vegetarian order of my airline food, they always give you. A little tub of margarine, like just because you're vegetarian doesn't oh. mean that you just like yucky things. And hilariously, she's held up the little tub of margarine in disgust. And then I've looked at mine and I've got that Pepe Sayar butter. butter. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> Wasted on you. <laughs> I just it like just seemed... the red mist actually descended. Like I was so <laughs> cross and upset that you'd got this. It was like somebody up the front was a Chat 10 listener and was taking a I know. full lens. I know, it was right? so funny. Yeah, that was hilarious. Um, Later, because we were staying in the same hotel when we did the Perth show and you had – it was that crazy day where we did that, well, frankly, disastrous Facebook Live where we didn't even know it was going <laughs> and then just rude things were said. I swore <laughs> and, oh, God. Well, but then right. we did that. We had a nice breakfast in the morning. Then yes. we did the terrible Facebook Live. And then you went and interviewed your secret snout Yes. Smashing interview that you had. Yeah, which has already aired now with Catherine Marriott. Catherine Marriott was so sneaky. Uh, And then I did uh, um, a work thing that afternoon. And then um, what is the point of this? Where was I? Where did I start? God. All right. And you said, I'm going to order a tuna niçoise salad um, to my room. And I'm like, well, you hate tuna niçoise salad because like, when I served it to you, you were all polite yeah. but then later confessed that you hated it and yeah. me because I'd served you tuna. Yeah. And, um, it's true. Anyway. It was out of a tin. That's where yeah. you were going because the I tinned crab. tuna. Yeah. No. But, I um, ate this one because it was like delicious. sashimi, yeah. tuna sashimi or sort of, of seared, I think it was. Anyway, so. you said that you'd like ordered this food to be delivered to your room <laughs> at 4 p.m. Oh, we that and, was yeah. awesome that you and could like, t- time it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I tried to ring the hotel kitchen and ask them to put like a giant bowl of capers next to it. Like, it's going to say on it. And this guy's just like, I'm sorry, Miss Sales will have to order her own capers. <laughs> like, it was like a sort of, you know, needles in strawberries situation. Oh, there was like, I love how that they're probably in the kitchen at that hotel going, God, that Lee Sales is such a monster that she gets her a- assistant to ring to ask for the um, capers. Yeah. Um, now. Yeah, that yeah, was fun. Totally. That was Where fun, were actually. we? Could um, I just ask you, we're watching on the 
flight. I was I was um, hooked into a thing I was watching called Feud, so I didn't watch any of the in-flight yeah. stuff. But you watched an Alexander McQueen doco. Oh, my God, I sure did. Was it good? It was great. Mm-hmm. So, look, I always – I knew a bit about Alexander McQueen, sort of, you know, bad boy of British fashion sort of thing and that he had, you know, had this – completely sort of revolutionary impact on the British fashion scene. He's this sort of like Cockney Bogan um, who turned up and, you know, started making clothes that were kind of violent and sensational and like from really cheap materials. And um, and then he was hired by Givenchy to be their designer. And anyway, I – sort of read a little bit more about him when we went to see that Isabella Blow yeah. um, exhibition at the Powerhouse a year or two back. She was and, like his muse. Right, yeah. Right. And so she wore his clothes and kind of pushed him and she was this sort of zeitgeisty sort of hat-wearing, um, interesting uh, woman who was like a vector in the fashion world. Anyway, they're, they're both dead now um, because um, – well, I think they both took their own lives, right? Like, I mean, mm. um, she was very ill. Um, so they both died young. But this uh, documentary looks at using sort of old home videos of him as a uh, as a kid and as a young man. He went to fashion school, had no – like really had no book learning at all. And so – but started kind of reading all this literature and – having all of these quite revolutionary ideas about um, fashion design. But also, and this is so funny, like I just, he was always, he also always didn't look like a fashion designer. Like he was no. overweight and sort of terrible teeth mm. and um, would be wearing, like he looked like he was dressed from Kmart, you mm. know, and yet he'd be sort of, he's all of a sudden he's the sort of head of Givenchy. But then what was interesting I thought was over – over the course of his time at Givenchy, and he was also um, spending six months a year in in London uh, designing McQueen, his own line, um, and he kind of got less and less happy and more and more miserable and more and more successful, and he had um, surgery and liposuction to kind of change his appearance, and he started doing quite a lot of drugs, I think, which um, really didn't help him. Um, and so he sort of ended up, eliminating all of the stuff that had made him quite oh. remarkable. It was just, God, so sad. Just And because he like, – his shows were absolutely extraordinary and so much more about theatre and drama than about fashion, although he obviously was incredibly um, shrewd businessman. He had like ready-to-wear and, and marketable retail clothing that was – very high end. He was a great tailor, but his main artistic sort of um, expression were these shows that were just these extraordinary works of, of theatre. And it was incredible in the film to to see all of those and just see this operatic madness then mm. that that captivated him. And looking at the themes that he looked at um, and developed in these shows, it was just like a real lesson in the in how um, short the bridge between theatre and fashion can be. That sounds right up my it's alley. It's a great film. I really enjoyed it. it I, I wonder how hard it is if you work in a field which is a lot about appearance, so fashion or modelling yep. or whatever, and you're a designer or a photographer or a makeup artist, so you're not somebody who is paid to look amazing, mm. but you are always around people who look amazing mm. and in something that's very heavily focused on appearance. I wonder how 
much that starts to eat your psyche? Well, evidently it must. I thought that one of the most interesting and impressive things about him was how absolutely um, self-possessed he was in the light of, you know, Mm. mockery and people going, what, you know, what's this guy doing? You know, he seemed incredibly grounded in Mm. his own family background and his own confidence in what he wanted to do. And in the early parts of the documentary, you're just amazed that this kid who kind of came from nowhere had this extraordinary ambition and Mm. also confidence in his own abilities. There's this great moment in the film where he has just pulled off this – extraordinary um, show in London Fashion Week and he's the hot new name. You know, all of the fashion writers are writing about him and he leaves the show and he and his colleague can't – they don't have enough money to buy burgers at at McDonald's, you know, Mm. and they just have no money. And they've built – like they've made these clothes out of bin liners and, you know, all sorts of found materials and whatever. You just think that they could step from this world of – incredible opulence into he said look I, the, I was just I was on unemployment benefit at the time and that's how I you know I spent my doll money I lived with my parents I spent my doll money on um fabric you know in in these sort of I knew where to get cheap fabric and yeah amazing wow, absolutely that, amazing it's just absolutely and he's built this extraordinary empire you know anyway mm. it's yeah I think I have you to thank for my emerging weakness for fashion documentaries, <laughs> but this is a real – like it's great. Yeah, yeah I, I do – I love the fashion documentaries. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know why. Look at me. <laughs> I love you. Look, you're very attractive in your own way. <laughs> Sorry. Don't make me laugh. I've oh, still no. got cold sores. Oh, no. Um, oh, the, yeah, when you're you the said, full glamour package really, aren't totally. you? Totally. Mm. When um, you said about him and the way that he dressed like Kmart, I was thinking the same about Grace Coddington at Vogue who she's always just wearing black – She's got that hair that just looks fright and she just looks positively dowdy <laughs> and yet she, her eye to make everything else look absolutely phenomenal is just That's amazing, isn't it? off the charts. Oh, no. Yeah. Isabella Blow always looked pretty pretty great though. Yeah, but it, I wonder it's a – I don't know, but it, it's She's obviously... like a walking billboard for other people, like other designers. Yeah, that's so right. So she's not – I guess maybe if you are the brain that's coming up with all this stuff, you don't – Put it on yourself. And you don't get high on your own supply, so to speak. <laughs> I saw a line in a piece about Donald Trump the other day where they described him sitting around getting high on the smell of his own sulphur. Oh, I love that. Yeah, like farting in a lift or something. <laughs> God, I'm still going through that book. It's just, oh, my gosh, it's just um, oh, man, alive. every turn. Um, what um, else have you been doing? Speaking about I'm not finished with other art forms yet. Oh. Um, in fact, I might spend this whole podcast just talking about things that aren't books. Um, okay. I <laughs> that'll be great for our new bedside table initiative, which is our exactly. little online bookstore. We're just going to go straight into dance. We'll now. tell you more about that later. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, you know, I was stunned uh, a couple of weeks ago when you have when you revealed your newfound love for poetry, the poetry of Kate Kennedy. Right, you, but you start with one, and yeah. then it's a slippery slope. Yeah. And uh, I am here to report that I have seen and enjoyed a musical. WTF. <laughs> well, see, now when you kept going on to me about Calamity Jane and how brilliant Virginia Gay was, mm-hmm. I just did, gave it the whole Americans treatment, really. How interesting <laughs> God, can this woman rich. be? How fabulous can a musical be? And then I roped and her into doing our show. Then you roped her into doing our show at the end more. I'm like, 
holy shit, Sales, this woman's a genius. <laughs> and you're like, I know. <laughs> but she is just, she's, I don't know why she isn't in everything that I see. Like I just, she is the most galvanising talent. She is an all-consuming presence. She's just, anyway, so I um, I like, you know, anyone else has sort of seen the film of Calamity Jane. Mm-hmm. Um and so you think, well, who else is going to play that role? Like, oh, you know, yeah, it's, it's like one of Doris Day's most famous roles, right? Yeah. You know, and so that sort of brassy lady kind yeah. of thing. Okay, so Virginia Gay's adaptation of the role for um, the live show that I saw at Belvoir, and I think it's now heading back to Melbourne again for another season before the end of the year, is just it could not be more different. You know, she's kind mm. of growly and gutsy and the voice is just mm. like yeah it has a presence of its own like mm. it's she's absolutely gobsmacking i yeah. it's, it's incredible isn't it to see somebody do a role that is so associated with someone else and they just bring something so new and fresh to it and amazing you're just like wow i that's that's how it should have always been done like you know it just seems Plus so, so right much humor like there's oh. such localized humor to it like there seemed to be like there was a lot of just you know the actors are having such a great time they were throwing mm. lines in like it just seemed, and it was at Belvoir right so they there was my, one of my favourite moments was when um so some of the other actors were just like thrown uh, or spat like whiskey all over Calamity and she like loses it and um she's like ah oh, god and um one of the one of the others says. Well, Pamela Rabe wouldn't have complained. <laughs> there was like a Rabe joke there because, you know. Was Rabe that because is... they knew you were there? No, no, I think it's because Pamela Rabe is like a, such a huge name at Belvoir. Like she's right. such a – but there were just all of these jokes, you know, that were, were chucked in that was that were just so beautiful. And there was a tuba player in it. There's a tuba player in it. I know, yeah. Anyway, so thank you belatedly for that recommendation. No, it was, it was fantastic. Was that? Do you I actually ran, I ran into – the artist Del Catherine Barton, who ah, was there yeah. as well. And, gee, she's an interesting one. Um, I really enjoyed meeting her. Um, she was just randomly there as well. And um, I said, did you enjoy the show? And she said, well, uh, look, to be honest, I hate musicals. <laughs> I hate comedies of any kind. <laughs> and I hate period pieces of any kind. I'm like, Ooh, are you sure you should be? She's Bold like, cool. And she said, but I'm loving it. And oh, I said, great! I really connected with her over that because yeah. she was. Yeah, no, there was something about it. It was, um, it was really fantastic. Um, the this probably will mean nothing to you because you don't care about musical theatre. Mm-hmm. But I'm just going to throw it out there because I know some of our listeners do. Um, what I would absolutely love to see Virginia Gay have a stab at would be another role very much associated with someone else, which is Funny Girl. I'd like to see her do the Barbara Streisand role in Funny Girl. Oh, now you're talking. Because, I mean, I watched that film again not so long ago, so it's Barbara Streisand, Omar, Omar Sharif. Mm-hmm. Barbara is just – it's just no surprise that that's why she became such a massive star. Like yeah. She just is just eating up the screen. Like yeah. it is gobsmacking. Um, and just her talent is just – oh, God. Anyway, um, I just think that Virginia Gay has got a similar sort of – Charisma and quality, and I think her voice would yeah. suit some of the Funny Girl songs. And I'd, I'd love to see her have a red hot go at it. But then I also think, well, I don't know. Do you, 
do you bother reinterpreting something that's so done? But then, you know, that's what they did with Calamity yeah. Jane. So, you know. She got the charisma. Exactly. So, anyway, I'd like to see her have a, a red hot go at that too. Um, I've got another thing to mention. Unless yes. I, I just politely wait to see if you'd like to avail yourself of this spare uh, I've only got gap like, of oxygen. I've only got like little tiny bits that I can – bang out in a minute at the end. So why don't okay. you carry on? Okay, very well. <laughs> Since I did get the last episode to bang on and on and on and on about, about your own, own work, yes, yes. Um, which everybody should buy if you haven't yet. <laughs> Any ordinary day, Lee Sales, full of revelations. <laughs> um, so uh, I went to see um, the first half of Harp in the South, uh, the production by Sydney. the Sydney Theatre Company. Yep. Oh, my lordy. It's mm-hmm. such a good piece of theatre. Mm. So it's like five and a half hours of theatre. I went to see the first half. Haven't been to the second uh, half yet. No, I haven't right. quite got round to it. But right. um, So did you love those books, like The Half in the South, Poor Man's um, Orange, I Mrs.? I read them. I, didn't, I wasn't one of those people that absolutely adored them. Uh, my childhood friend Mandy absolutely oh, Mandy. loved them. Mandy. This is why them. I play the role of Mandy. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Did you love them? Mm. All right. Yeah, I did. And it's – an incredible cast, right? Like it's um, it's a brilliant cast, and um, the direction's um, extraordinary. They account really intelligently for the passage of time and for mm-hmm. the fact that you know one character, you know, each character ages. Right. They've got this very beautiful way of affecting the transition, where um, Margaret, who's the matriarch of of the family, and her husband Huey. Um, they move to Surrey Hills with their newborn baby, Thady. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, how are they going to like, because then for the rest of the book, like um, Margaret, who's known as Mama in the, in the story, um, you know, she's a woman with two like teenage and uh, children and how are we going to change the character from this young girl who's just had a baby? And so the way they do it, and the staging is the actual real work of genius of this production. It's a completely bare stage with a big round like turntable thing mm-hmm. that spins every now and again to oh, kind of God. connote the passage of time. Wow. And what happens is that they march off with their baby and hand in hand and they walk across the stage and approaching them from the other side comes this older couple with a little boy who's like about 10 holding his hand, and they meet in the middle and they shake hands and then the younger couple leaves. So it's like a direct handover of the oh, role. It's so beautiful. Fantastic. It's, that's so clever. <clears throat> and you're in absolutely no doubt as to what's just happened. You have watched the changing of these characters oh, that's with, awesome. on a stage with nothing else happening. Like it's just so Bold, but just is that what'll happen in the crown? <laughs> I don't know. It completely. I'm. I spend about ten percent of my brain is just worrying about that transition <laughs> at any given time. But so That's it was fantastic. Beautiful, but like, the other thing about the staging was uh, obviously the a lot of the action happens inside the house lived lived in by Mama and Huey and the sisters Rowie and Dola, and all of their bizarre lodges that they have in this little squeezy Surrey Hills terrace. And so they've built this terrace house by basically they've got these um, tall sort of scaffolding um, structures on wheels and they just – the set hands just like 
race these structures in and pop them together and they've got stairs and uh, like bedrooms but no walls so you can see straight through them so you can see what's happening in any part of the house at any time and they just and they can break the set in seconds by just pulling these contraptions off stage what theater is this stunning sydney theater Company. so it's at the rospacker theater so it's that big big theater we've filled it you know that one (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, I'm just doing it like <laughs> what a monster! Yeah, an absolute monster. But it was yeah, so it's exhilaratingly well produced. Can I just also give a shout out to the Sydney Theatre Company for their season next year, which the brochure landed on oh my, my gosh, desk at work yeah. the other day, yep. and I flicked through it. It yeah. is just. <laughs> Like every single thing I went, oh, God, that looks fantastic. And then the one that I particularly just nearly wet my pants I know is what you're about to say. Mm-hmm. Cat on a Hot Tin Roof with Pamela Rabe and Hugo Weaving. I have no more remarks to make about that beyond – I just remember you texting me just going, <laughs> oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. I mean, I, I share Hugo, your OMG. Hugo Weaving I find just astonishing yeah. in every single thing that I ever see him in. Did you see him in Macbeth? No. Oh, it, well, how did I well, miss that? Yeah, no, <laughs> uh, it was. Yeah, he. I remember seeing um, Uncle Vanya, and it was that production yeah. where it was like every superstar yeah. of Australian. It acting was like the Kate Blanchett. Yeah, Kate Blanchett, John Bell, Richard Roxburgh, Hugo Weaving. It was just every single person, yeah. household name, and um, the one person on that stage with that group of people that I could not take my eyes off was Hugo Weaving. And it wasn't because he was being an upstager or yeah. that he was pulling focus or anything. It's just because his sheer presence is yeah. just so strong. I just think he's extraordinary. And then I think we all know how we feel about rape, <laughs> rape, <laughs> rape. Um, can I, before we run out of time, just do a quick whip around a yeah. few things? Uh, do I, some noodling. Noodling. <laughs> do you, am I overusing the word noodling? I just love that verb. <laughs> um, the Split, which I said a few podcasts oh, ago yeah. that I was watching. Mm. It's a BBC drama. It's yeah. on the ABC. I've been watching it on iview. I was a bit cold on it. I'm now up to about episode four, episode five, and it's just only now really put its hooks into me. Ah, okay. It's no Americans, but it's pretty solid. You can see America from there, can you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if I could say that I could see America from there. Hey, speaking of which, the Americans won some awards at the Emmys the other week, including um, Matthew Reese won for his yeah. performance as Philip. Somebody tweeted, which made me laugh, they said, Kerry Russell being overlooked but Matthew Reese getting an award is like Elizabeth having to keep on doing the killings and the spying while Philip <laughs> horsed around doing line dancing and effing up the travel agency. <laughs> so true. Um, Harsh but fair. The new season of Mad as Hell has started on the ABC, oh, yeah. which I'm a gigantic yeah. uh, fan of. And I just sort of like, you know, the other week we were talking about 30 Rock and how just pound for pound there's just yeah. line after line after yeah. line after line. It's funny. Mad as Hell is the same, I reckon, where you're, just, you're missing funny lines because you're still laughing from the previous yeah. funny line. Um, there was a thing this week I had to pause and I reckon I laughed for about five minutes and it was just so silly that I just laughed and laughed. It was a fake promo for an ABC Nature documentary and so it opens and it's shots of ants and the, voice, yeah. <laughs> the voiceover goes, these ants can carry three times their own body weight but they don't. Join us for Bludger Ants of the Nullarbor. <laughs> And a lot of his, it was funny because as I was watching it, I was thinking like I think Sean McAuliffe does, you know, some of the best political commentary around through satire. I think it's just really sharply observed. And there were several moments in it where he said things and I just thought, God, that just reminds me of Crab. Like the sort of the the, the way that he was analysing stuff, it reminded me 
Um, if you, there was another great line about Roman Quadvlieg, which was oh. um, Roman Quadvlieg, a name once respected, if not pronounced with any certainty. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, it's just the usual reliably uh, excellent quality. Um, I'm reading Clock Dance by Anne Tyler, which is Anne Tyler's latest novel. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say if you are someone who likes Anne Tyler's shtick, you Mm -hmm. will love it. Anne Tyler, I think, writes really awesome, very finely observed books about family and family dynamics and family relationships. Some people feel like it's sort of – people can be dismissive of it. They say it's like chick lit and stuff, Mm. but I actually think it's really um, very well done. Um, our friend Murph sent us a thing that appeared in McSweeney about oh. middle of the night worries. <laughs> I love McSweeney. It's just every now and again there's something that just is so ludicrously apt and hilarious. It, that, that was just absolutely gold. So it's basically What's somebody. It's called the theatre of your mind. It's <laughs> yeah. 2.47 a.m. And it goes through all of the things that you tend to be preoccupied by at that hour, like somebody who you accidentally um, – Got their and, name wrong 15 years yeah, ago in exactly. the stock room. <laughs> yep. And then, it, of course, when you reach the point where you're calculating how many hours you still have left to sleep and how you're eroding it as you stay yeah. awake. And anyway, it's brilliantly Plus, climate done. change is real. <laughs> it's brilliantly done. It's, it's really, really hilarious. Um, yeah, and that's about – that's me up to date. I will close with another art form because Ooh. I can do so many in the space <laughs> of a simple half hour. Interpretive dance. I uh, went to uh, Melbourne at the weekend to shoot a pilot for the new ABC TV show I'm doing with Charlie Pickering. Mm-hmm. It's called Tomorrow Tonight. Mm-hmm. It is an ambitious but, I can report after the pilot, thank God, successful. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> so um, – We had great fun doing that, but um, I didn't start work on Saturday until like 12. So uh, I went to the NGV uh, to see the um, MoMA exhibition, which is in its final weeks. And um, lots and lots of good stuff in there. But the thing that I loved walking in and seeing first up was this beautiful um, Vincent van Gogh artwork, um, which is a painting of his friend, the postie. And it's one of those ones where the background is incredibly decorative and intricate and his friend is sort of smiling ish and he's got a kind of completely comical beard and the colors are beautiful it's just i love that painting it's it's there's a series um because i just think you know we all read about how miserable vincent van gogh's life was and how you know he chopped off his own ear and went mad and did all of that stuff and i always find it a really that series a really cheering one because i just it's such a great evidence that even when you are desperately down on your luck and professionally unsuccessful and frustrated and ill and whatever else, you can still have these great moments of just pure joy and exultation in your friend's company. And I just right. – it's a beautiful painting and it, it makes me And that's happy. what you see when you walk straight in. Yeah, you oh, walk straight cool. in and there it is. So you, can, let me ask you about one that I saw you either tweet or Instagram a photo yeah. of and I didn't get it. I wasn't sure why you were drawn mm. to it. It's like – Alphabet. Oh yeah. Well, there was. Um, there's all sorts of different stuff in this exhibition. Like it, it tries to sort of, it kind of charts almost a history of the MoMA collection. So there's different artistic periods, and like there's like incredible big blockbustery, you know, sort of works that you're really familiar with. Um, so 
they're very fun to see, obviously. Um, but then there's other um, uh, forms and um, this was um, from a little section on the Bauhaus sort of movement um, and it was just a set of, um, you know, fonts, you know, letter print kind of, yeah, I just found it very pleasing. That's oh, all. okay. I, I sort of I was looking at it trying to I decipher, like, what is it in this? No, no, there cheese? wasn't some crazy message in there or anything. I yeah. just found it visually pleasing. <laughs> that's all. Conversation over. Really, that was, that was it. But there was um, um there was also a um a uh, a kind of participatory artwork in there as part of the exhibition as well, mm. and it um. It's uh, not discounting rice palaver again. <laughs> no, but it's you can With see respect. America from here. <laughs> um, With all so due respect a, to Marina, it's a work called Roman Ondak, yeah. measuring the universe. It's called, and it's yeah. an it's a blank. It's a a room of blank walls, and you walk in, yeah. and there are a couple of attendants from the art gallery in there, and when you go in. They say, would you like to be a part of the artwork? And you say, yes, please. And they've got a texter in their hand, like a black texter. Mm. And they get you to stand against the wall and they measure you. Like it's all about the tradition of measuring your children against right. the wall and marking. And so they measure your height and then they write next to it your name and the date you came into the exhibition, mm. right? And so um, obviously it's near the end of the exhibition now. So what there is now is this great sort of fuzzy cloud, insect cloud at the average height level. It's oh. all filled in. So it looks like this giant sort of smudge oh. running around the wall at exactly the same level oh. but with sort of fuzzy bits of like there's – Up and down. Yeah, and it's oh. so funny because – and people put their children. So you, there are still legible names among the – unusually uh, um, statured right. people that have come in. So they're very tall people. You can still read right. their names. Right. And it's so funny because they're all Dutch basically. <laughs> Hello, here is Hans. <laughs> and all the little And then ones. the little ones are all called like, you know. Jordan. No, they're all called like, you know. Um, Isabella. Yeah, totally. Yeah, the as you look at the names. different heights, you can see the trends of names. Like yeah, you, it's how cool. so it's really interesting. And of course, I'm sort of a bit average, so my name was just written in black on an already black. You know, right. so black mine is line. invisible. Yeah. Anyway, I loved it. That it was sounds such, great. That yeah. sounds super cool. Yeah. Um, okay, we're out of time because I got to go to a meeting. Okay, so let me just hit. Yell out for a few things. If you like what we talk about um, in the book sense, which actually this episode's only been three books, Just Harp, totally in the, useless. Harp in the South, <laughs> Clock Dance, and my own book, I Any Ordinary Day. I am going back to reread Harp in the South, Poor Man's Orange, and Mrs. Though. So that's a, it's sort of a book recommendation. Well, then that's perfect because now all of those books can be put on our new online um, book page, which is Chat 10 Looks 3 Bedside Table. Um, and you can get to that by going to chat10looks3.com. And so everything that we talk about book wise in the podcast, if you're interested, you can now just click on this page it's hooked up to booktopia it's like It'll our take own you little bookshop so you can wander around i wanted to call it sales as bin but uh somebody somebody said somebody no. said no um i'm sitting also, in a room with her right now uh, brenda 2.0 beck has set up uh 
an Instagram account for Chat 10. So if you're on Instagram, you can follow that at Chat 10 Looks Through. I've posted a series of amusing root vegetables. I have More to come. seen the fascinating posts that you've been putting on there. And, <laughs> yes. Um, and there's some tickets on sale to our Melbourne show if you would like to come along, which should be very fun in November. On the 16th of November. Yep. In We're having a pop-up bar as well. Ooh, so you get exciting. to come and um, hang out with the Chatterati. Very good. And you can still go into the Facebook group if you want, which you've got to answer some questions to join, like, you know, who do you prefer out of Annabelle Crab and Lisa? What are you wearing right now? That sort of thing. Uh, that's it. So, okay. Yeah, we'll see you soon. Well, this has been highly successful. Very successful. <laughs> <laughs> see ya. Bye. Oh, are we live? Hit it. <laughs> <laughs> so, here's the thing. You know how Gwen is completely out of control. Uh, remember a couple of weeks ago we were talking about um, my sad um, reusable coffee cup and um, how. I always feel a bit smug even though my cup is sad when I'm in the coffee line and, you know, I've remembered to bring a, a reusable cup. And then we started talking about how it really felt you made you feel you had the moral high grounds and we really should have a cup that just says moral high grounds. Well, guess what? Now we do. Now we do. Gwen Blake Gwen, got straight onto it. The, I mean, she's gone mad. The police will shoot her. But um, before they do, you can actually order this cup. <laughs> and because she knows that we're a shambles at promoting stuff, she's actually <laughs> sent us the exact words that oh, she wants she? us to oh, say. She... Yes. She said, yes, she we has. are selling them online now. Each coffee cup sold will allow Oz Harvest to provide five meals to Australians who need them. Moral High Grounds cups are available at chat10looks3.com. Or something similar. Oh, that's oh, right. That's oh, that, that she doesn't want us to read on. Similar. Okay, so they're um, available on the Chat 10 website. So, yeah, so you go to the go Chat 10 website on. and there's a little shop there and you can get coffee cups and you can have them sent or there are even, organised by Gwen, uh, uh, a couple of cafes where you can collect them in Melbourne or Sydney. I'm sorry, only in Melbourne and Sydney at this stage, but that's where the greatest um, cluster of, of And of just to avoid is. postage. So, um, yeah. so, uh, so that's very good. And, of course, because uh, – Proceeds go to Oz Harvest. Um, you can be even smugger. <laughs> In fact, it's a smug overload. You'll have to go and get your smug gland removed afterwards. Right, I think okay. it's been long enough, hasn't it? Plenty long enough. <laughs>